Hello, science enthusiasts and curious minds. Welcome to Glycocast, the podcast where the sweet science of sugars meets the mysteries of medicine and our shared humanity comes to life. I'm your host, Ivan Martinez, and alongside Karen Morici, we are thrilled to have you on this journey with us, right at the crossroads of science, healthcare, and personal stories. Together, we will learn, explore, and understand the complex world of sugars. And when I say sugars, I don't mean the table sugar you put in your coffee. No, we are diving into the complex and intricate world of glycobiology, the study of sugar structures in our cells called glycans, and that are fundamental building blocks of life. Glycans play a big role in a range of biological processes, from human development to immune responses and beyond. But what happens when things go awry? This is where we turn our focus towards a group of rare metabolic disorders known as congenital disorders of glycosylation, or CDGs for short, and that are caused by mutations in genes required to build glycans. These disorders, often underdiagnosed, affect the lives of many children and families around the globe, resulting in a spectrum of symptoms from mild to severe, impacting various organs and often leaving families on a daunting, uncertain journey. That's why here at Glycocast, we are not just about the science, we are about the human stories behind the science. We'll bring you tales of struggle and perseverance as we speak to families affected by CDGs, learn about their experiences, their challenges, and their achievements. We'll hear from the researchers on the front lines, unearthing the mysteries of CDGs and the healthcare professionals who play a key role in managing these disorders. We're aiming to offer a place of connection, community, and understanding. As we peel back the layers of this topic, we'll delve into the science, but we won't forget the heart, because in the end, it's all about the people impacted by these rare disorders. So whether you're a seasoned scientist, a healthcare professional, a family member of someone affected by a CDG, or just a curious listener, there's something here for you at Glycocast. So please stay tuned and welcome to this amazing journey about families, sugars, and rare disorders. Welcome to Glycocast, a journey of families, sugars, and rare disorders. I'm your host, Ivan Martinez, and as always, I'm thrilled you've joined us. In today's episode, we have a truly inspiring guest, someone who has not just weathered a storm, but has found a way to dance in the rain. Meet Karen Morici, a brave mother and co-host of this podcast, who's sharing an intimate look into her life. Karen's world took an unexpected turn when her child, Dominic, was diagnosed with PMM2CDG, a rare genetic disorder where the synthesis of glycans, sugar blocks essential for life, is disrupted. But what is this condition and how has it changed her and Dominic's life? PMM2CDG, or phosphomaniomutase 2 congenital disorder of glycosylation, is caused by mutations in the PMM2 enzyme that converts the sugar mannose-6-phosphate to mannose-1-phosphate, necessary to produce activated forms of mannose, such as GDP mannose and dolichol phosphate mannose. 
these activated forms of mannose are required so other enzymes called mannosyl transferases add mannose in the process of building these sugar trees called glycans, specifically ones called N-glycans, and that cells throughout our body require to function correctly. PMM2-CDG reduces the ability of cells to produce activated forms of mannose, causing proteins to be insufficiently glycosylated, thus affecting their function. Patients with PMM2-CDG may display a wide range of symptoms with varying severity. Developmental disability, hypotonia, a medical term used for low muscle tone or muscle weakness, and failure to thrive are among the most frequent symptoms. The challenges that come with PMM2-CDG are vast and varied, much like the strength and resilience Karen and Dominic have shown in their journey. Today, Karen will be sharing her experiences from receiving Dominic's diagnosis to managing day-to-day -day life, the highs and lows, the struggles and victories. Her story is a testament to the strength of the human spirit and a mother's unwavering love. So sit back and join us as we discover a reality that few have seen, but from which we all can learn. Welcome to Glycocast. Welcome to Karen Morici's story. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Glycocast, a journey about families, sugars, and rare diseases. This is your host, Ivan Martinez, and I'm very happy after months of planning to have today's guest and future co-host, Karen Morici, who is a wonderful person and mom of our little warrior, Dominic, of whom we'll be talking about. Thank you, Karen, for being with us. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm excited. This is a topic that I don't even have to prepare for because I know it just like any mom knows information about their son off the top of their head. So it's the easiest thing to talk about in my world. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's the easiest, but I also think it is... Uh, well, very important to put this family perspective in in yes. science and of, of rare diseases and, and congenital disorders of glycosylation. So thank you very much for your time and, and talking about your story. And so to start, could you share a bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, so um, I currently live just outside of Chicago. My son, Dominic, will be turning six on next Sunday, actually, uh, he was diagnosed with PMM2-CDG when he was about five months old. Um, I, he is my only son. I, it's funny because every time we're in the hospital, nurses will always ask, oh, do you have more kids? And I'm like, who, who has time for more kids? Who has time for this is a lot of work. It takes up a lot of time. Um, and I know a lot of CDG families have multiple kids, so props to them. But Dominic is my only little guy. He keeps me very busy. Um, he stresses me out a lot, but he also gives me tons of joy. Um, and he has changed my life in so many ways. Um, if you were to ask friends that knew me before Dominic, they would say that I'm a completely different person. I think when you, you go through um, any parent that has uh, some sort of medical uh, issue with their child, whether it's cancer or a disease or, or even a chronic uh, syndrome of some sort, um, I think it really changes your perspective a lot. On, on many different things. And all of a sudden, things that seemed to be important 
no longer are. So uh, I credit that to Dominic. He has changed my life in a very positive way. Um, I, you know, I had multiple miscarriages before I got pregnant with Dominic. Um, They still are unsure if that had anything to do with his dad and me being carriers for CDG. Um, And, you know, we'll never know, which is fine. I chose to do the IVF route, thinking that maybe if it was more of a controlled environment, I would be able to carry a child to full term. Um, And it was really unexplained why I was having all of these miscarriages. Um, But I did the IVF route and they did genetic testing on me. Um, but they only test for the 21 most common abnormalities. So CDG obviously was not on that panel of tests. Um, and I think actually my sister got tested to see if she was a carrier of CDG. So you, you have to request, you have to request it when you're trying to, uh, have a baby and get a genetic test. Um, and because I did not have any anything that popped up that I was a carrier in that 21 uh, common panel, they said, do you want to do genetic testing on the embryo? And it was insurance doesn't cover it. And uh, my husband, my husband at the time, we chose not to because it was six thousand dollars. And uh, judging from the panel, we thought, well, you know, I don't really have anything that should be, you know, worrisome. Let's just not do it. And you know what? Thank God that we didn't because they would have came back and said, oh, no, the baby's fine because they don't test for CDG. So it would have been a $6,000 deficit and still had a child with a complex medical system. So, uh, Got got pregnant, first round of IVF, actually had a very normal, typical pregnancy, no real issues that would alert me in thinking that something was wrong. All of my ultrasounds, everything, everything looked fine. Um, when I was going into delivery, I had some complications. Again, I don't think it had to do with CDG. It was just complicated delivery. Uh, Dominic was a meconium baby. He was in the uh, NICU for 10 days. Uh, and he actually recovered from that pretty quick. And I was able to take him home. And everything seemed to be going really well. <laughs> and then around uh, three months, he was three months old. And I you know, as, as a mom, you kind of, you see the circle of people around you when you're pregnant that are kind of pregnant at the same time. And so you kind of are like, oh, we're having kids at the same time. They're going to be the same age. And so I have Dominic and I'm kind of looking at friends with their three month old, four year old. And I just could tell this difference between Dominic and them. They, you know, would carry their child as if they had uh, a wooden pole or a, a metal pole in their back, like very strong and sturdy. And, you know, they were able to carry them on their hip. And uh, I was, you know, always wondered 
why, why am I still having to carry him like a newborn? Why won't he hold his head up? And so that was my first kind of uh, thought and worry. And because I was a first time mom, everyone kind of told me, you know, you, you need to stop Googling stuff. He's going to be fine. He's going to hold his head up. Um, I took him to his physician at the time. And, and it's funny too, because, you know, you're, you're digging into this like floppiness that he had, which is hypotonia. And I'm learning all of this stuff, you know, now being six years later, I know exactly what it is, but what I read was hypotonia is not a, a diagnosis. It's actually a symptom of something else. So I would, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, wh what could it possibly be? But then again, everyone's telling me I'm crazy. So I try and I told them, I, I hope I am crazy. I really do. I, I really hope that I go in there and they say, oh no, you're just an insane first time mom that is worrying too much. And, and, so, and, 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 so, sorry, just, I, I think that, that this is something very important because I think this history is very frequent in moms that feel that something's not going right. Right. And, uh, and like the environment sometimes doesn't feel the mom is, is thinking adequately about this and sometimes it minimizes this. And, and so I think a suggestion would be that, that mothers that are feeling, seeing uh, symptoms, uh, signs that something's not going, uh, that something's going wrong, uh, should uh, immediately look for, for medical uh, diagnosis and medical attention, right? And just because sometimes this could delay by months or even more uh, to reach a diagnosis. So, and, and after, and I, I think at, at the end, the mom is the person that normally is the most time with the child and, and, and really has the feeling of what's happening, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's important for a physician specialist to know that they may know their specialty, but they really have to listen to the parent because the parent always knows best. And I feel lucky that, um, I mean, initially the physician didn't guide me the right way, but now I, I do feel lucky that I, I've heard some, some horror stories in our community of, uh, you know, just, uh, specialists or systems not taking them seriously. And, uh, they just, it's like, you're already going through so much. I could not even imagine having that factor added in as you're trying to fight for your child and knowing in your heart that something is not right, but then the system or, or a doctor, or maybe you're in a hospital that that um, isn't as established or you're in a more rural community uh, or a different country, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm grateful that now uh, they listen to me. <laughs> I think there's probably notes in the computer, like, because I've been there so many times. Oh, just listen to the mom. She knows CDG because uh, I, they would do, they'll do rounds and the doctors will, will, you know, come in and and they'll listen to me, you know, they, they say, no, she knows everything. So it's, it's, it's nice that they take me seriously now, but in the beginning, it definitely was not 
like that. And it's, um, you know how I remember I, I, when I first brought him to the doctor thinking that something was wrong, this like, why can't he hold his head up? That was my only, like, why can't he hold his head up? And his physician, you know how, do you, do you have kids? Yeah, three. Yeah. Okay. So you know how when you, uh, you put them standing on their feet to see if they bear weight on their legs. And if they don't, then I, I don't know, but I assume that that's when they would start digging a little deeper. Maybe something is wrong. But for Dominic, his hypotonia was really, and still is, in his neck and his trunk. And his arms and legs and hands actually is a really strong fist uh, grip. Uh, he, he could bear weight on his legs. He still can. So she did that. And she, and his head is, you know, like this, but he's, he could bear weight on his legs. So she's like, oh, he just needs a little PT, you know? So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to listen to the doctor. So brought him home. And that's when the feeding intolerance started. Um, he initially always would drink uh, by bottle. I never tried to, to breastfeed. I always just went the formula route. Um we tried, I brought him to the doctor. She said, he's allergic to dairy. He's allergic to this. We're going to try elemental formulas. You know, he just couldn't hold anything down, losing weight, constantly vomiting. And I, it was a month of just what is going on? There's something going on. He, 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 I, I don't think it's normal for a child to drink two ounces and then immediately throw it up. And they, you know, even they gave him tons of like acid reflux, mat, you know, all of that. Um, and then, so five months, uh, he was five months old. It was just like a week before Christmas in 2017. Uh, he, he got really, he got really sick. He was, he kept on vomiting. He wasn't holding anything down. Um, I remember looking into his eyes and I just had this feeling like I, I'm taking him to the emergency room. Something is not right. And I don't know, you know, now I've dealt with, with seizure so much. I don't know if he was having a seizure. I didn't know what, what was happening. I wasn't like, uh, 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 any sort of doctor or any sort of anything to, to establish that opinion. But in my heart, I really didn't know that, that something was wrong. So took him to the emergency room, uh, and the, they immediately tested his blood sugar and he was hypoglycemic. It was the first time that Dominic was hypoglycemic and still struggle with that. Uh, so they, they took him back and they gave him a series of tests and the doctor came in and said, um, I, I don't like what his labs look like. He has elevated liver enzymes. Um, and he is failure to thrive and he's not meeting milestones. And that was the first time that I had heard the failure to thrive. And I thought he's thriving. What do you mean? Like he's sick right now. You know, you're, you're judging this based on him being sick. I didn't know that it meant that he's not gaining weight. And then the, the 
milestone. That was the first time I heard that too. And I'm a first time mom. I don't know when kids are supposed to do things. I still don't know if I were to have another kid right now, it'd be like a first time mom. I don't know what it's like to be a typical mom. Like when are you supposed to feed them solids? When are they supposed to, you know, start going to the bathroom on their own? I have no idea. Um, so they admitted him and it was two full days of every single specialist coming knock on the door. Hi, I'm, you know, the specialist that I didn't even know existed. I'm like, wait, what, what organ are you specializing? And I have no idea. Um, and it was just a whirlwind. I feel like I'm a pretty positive person. So I always thankfully think, oh, you know, there it's going to, it's going to be, it's always going to work out. They're going to, we're in a good place. They're going to figure it out. We're going to go home. Everything's going to be perfect. And, um, he, uh, the geneticist walked in after two days of these specialists poking and prodding and checking him. And, uh, the, the, the geneticist walked in and said, um, based on what we've seen, this is what I think he has. And he wrote congenital disorders of glycosylation on the board. And, uh, I think he had never seen it. He had heard of it. The kind of the light bulb was the, he had Dominic had a pericardial effusion at the time. Um, and he had, uh, inverted nipples and, you know, abnormal fat distribution. So all of these things started checking off. He's like, wait a minute. I think I've heard of that before. So he said, this is what I think he has. And they hadn't, they hadn't tested him, like given him a genetic test yet, but they said, this is what I think it is. And so I remember thinking to myself as naive as I was, I thought, okay, so he doesn't create these sugar. He, he's not creating these sugars, but and I heard like mano, you know, manos. And I thought, oh, I could just order this, this like manos on Amazon and give it to him and he'll be fine. So in my mind, this is what I'm thinking. They're like, do you have any questions? And I remember saying, again, super naive. Oh, so if this is, this seems like it's going to be a pretty easy thing, right? Like I, I remember just thinking like, oh, it'll be do to do. And uh, so everyone left the room and I sat down and I Googled it. And the first thing that popped up was 20% of affected infants don't survive the first year. And that is when my world changed completely. I had my first and only panic attack. Uh, the nurses and doctors came in. They wanted me to go down to the emergency room. I didn't want to leave Dominic. Uh, it, you know, all of a sudden you're thinking all of these thoughts in your head of, of the future and the, what does this mean? And, you know, and I, I, I had all of the, I had the team come back in and I just remember crying. And I just, I just said, just, you just need to tell me, is he going to die? I just need to know, I need, need to be prepared for this. And they said, we're going to be completely honest with you. We don't know, but all we can do is tell you right now that there's nothing right now that is showing us that it could be fatal. You know, like everything that he's exhibiting and presenting right now 
it's not concerning to the point where he's not going to make it, but CDG, you know, they're going over every symptom. Like you need to get a neurologist, you need to get a cardiologist, you need to get, you know, he may have this, he may have sure business. He, he, he may, and I'm like, so basically what you're saying is this disease affects his whole entire body. Like, yeah, it's starting somewhere, but you need the specific sugar and protein bond to, to make every other part of your body work. And because Dominic and other CDG kids don't have that correct bond, their body just goes rogue. Uh, and it's interesting too, because, you know, you don't hear about the glycosylation process hardly ever. And I wonder in medical school, if there is, is there just a chapter on it? Is there, uh, it seems like an important part of your body, but the majority of people don't, they've never even heard of it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, no? and yeah. And, and I think that just to, to talk a little bit, just to this point of the, of the, of this story is that um, I think you were very lucky that at five months, you already had a geneticist pointing out what was the disease affecting uh, Dominic, right? Uh, yeah. You'll, you'll tell us then afterwards about the genetic testing, the, the confirmation about this. But I think that already having a geneticist uh, saying to you this is very lucky because uh, at least globally, it is not very frequent to, to have a diagnosis so early on. Right. We, we yes. know ter ter terrible stories about, you know, 10, 15 years of families trying to know what happened, uh, even sometimes with siblings that have died and and they didn't know what they they had. Right. So I think that that uh, a, a good suggestion for families that are living uh, a disease in their children that was unexpected that is quickly developing into an emergency and uh and and has this 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 component that is is slowly developing uh should get a geneticist and and I hope that the public health system and the private health system uh helps in this. Uh, I think in the United States, probably it is very frequent, but at least abroad, it's not very easy to have a geneticist on board. And I have learned that, you know, the geneticists are the specialists that are really going to, to help uh, families uh, get a genetic diagnosis. So I think it, this was very important. It is very lucky for you to, to have this. And, and, and particularly when uh, glycosylation is something that is not really studied as it should in medical schools. And although it is one of the major biochemical uh, modifications of proteins and lipids, and it makes thousands of proteins and lipids work in our body, um, it, it's it's still something that is not really studied. And, uh, and rare diseases also is sometimes uh, a subject that is not really dealt with as it should. And, and I think that that's what happens when people, uh, children with rare diseases have a problem. Um, it is also frequent that the first physician won't really know what's happening and even won't really 
think it's a rare disease that, you know, maybe you don't know, but then you refer to a geneticist or, or you start to study, but sometimes you have physicians, you know, like minimizing or let's wait and see, probably it's going to correct by itself. And it's not always uh, as nice as, as it sounds, right? So uh, I think it was it was very lucky and, and uh, well, Glycosylation is obviously a very important process for the cells and for those who are who are, who are listening to us. So glycosylation basically is a process where cells build sugar blocks like sugar trees, and uh, these sugars, glycans, they are called, will be in proteins and lipids and and form part of the cell and and help the cell to communicate. So. When you don't have these sugar blocks or you have them uh, shorter or truncated, then uh, the signaling and the communication won't be uh, going forward. And, and glycosylation in humans is something that it's present in all of our cells. So frequently these disorders that affect uh, the synthesis of, of these sugars of glycans will affect many tissues and organs. So you will have children that will be presenting problems in different parts of, of their body. So uh, I just- At different to points talk. in their life too. Because yeah. uh, I, I remember them saying, you know, he, he may have this and this and this and this, and even though he's not presenting it yet, you you probably would like to get a specialist just to start, you know, them following him and, and building some history. So, and I did, you know, right off the bat, I was like, all right, let's, let, and I, I'm a very organized person. So I feel like, you know, I, I probably um, am type A when it comes to making schedules and, and, and doing out, which has helped significantly. I don't know how any mom could do it without being organized. Um, I definitely can't, but, you know, I was like, all right, we need all of these specialists on his team. I, and I, I really try to pick and choose specialists that, I knew I could be comfortable with and talk with. There were many, I remember um, one of the, the specialists was a urologist and right away, I just felt like she, she was very serious. Her bedside manner wasn't the greatest. And when I'm stressed, I tend to make jokes. It kind of helps me relax. And she just was not having any of my jokes. <laughs> so I was like, all right, we finished that appointment. And then I found another urologist and he was, you know, amazing and totally, you know, we had a good rapport and I feel like it's very important for families um, to find a special, don't just, you know, I, and I guess it depends on the country and your insurance and, and what you can and can't do, but try to find a specialist that you are comfortable talking with. You are comfortable asking questions uh, you know that if shit hits the fan, they are going to listen to you and they are going to um, kind of be your general in in your army, you know? Uh, so I think that that's really, really important. If you don't have a good rapport with with your, your medical team, your child's medical team and a relationship like that, um, I feel like it's going to be a lot harder through your CDG journey. Um, and I was lucky to just find, I think Dominic now has in Chicago, 11 different specialists, not including his therapy team. Um, and then he goes up to the Mayo Clinic where his CDG specialists are. Um, 
And that's another thing, you know, we're only a five hour drive away from Mayo, uh, which I feel guilty in itself that we live so close. And there's so many other families that wish that they even lived, you know, maybe an eight hour drive. So uh, that was very, very helpful too. And I know that other families don't have that resource and that uh, availability to go to Mayo as much as they would like. Yeah, and so so let me uh, ask you a question. Uh, yes. So as you said, you were at first thinking that this was going to go away or it was going to be simple to resolve it, right? And then the moment came when you acknowledged the severity of what you were dealing with. And so I think at, at this time, one would expect uh, the presence of support systems, but uh, sometimes they are not there and, and, and sometimes you have to create them at that at that time. So in, in your experience, how how was this present? Was there a support system that that helped you out at, at that moment? Or were you feeling lonely and uh, very, very, you know, marginalized from that? And and has this changed over the years? Uh, we'll talk about, we know that you're an advocate and and, and you, you are very close to, to the stories of many families with CDG. So what could you tell us about, about the importance of support systems when, once you acknowledge the problem? Yeah, so... Um... I would say, you know, even though I'm smiling now, it was a good four to five months of, I felt like the only way I could describe it is I felt like I was sitting in a room with my child and I wasn't moving, but the whole world around me was, and I, I just didn't know what to do. And I, you know, support system is hard because you have friends and family and they're there for you, but they don't, they don't understand what you're going through. They, they can't relate in that sense. So I made it my mission to find other families. I needed to connect with other families that had been through this. Um, and that was kind of my guiding light. I have, you know, I have really good friends. I have uh, family. I have, you know, I, I, uh, I used to do hair full time. So I have a lot of clients that have turned into friends and I, I always people, how are you? How are you? You know, always people checking in and seeing how I was, but it definitely didn't make me feel any better. It, I needed, I needed the support from the CDG community. I think you need it some, sometimes I think well it's it's very I think it's good to to have that family support right but and, and, and friends but I think that at, probably at that moment what you most want is answers and and, yes. and understand what to do and what as a mom or a father you have to do right and so uh, these this uh, idea of looking for other families, was it something that just came to your head or was it some, some suggestion, somebody? No, it was, I, you know, I just, I had to dig deep and start researching where, where were these families? Where was this 
support system where we're, is there any, any articles, anyone on social media, anyone, um, and so I, I always has, have always done social media uh, as kind of like a side thing for for different companies and stuff. But so I actually the first thing that I did was I went on Instagram and besides Googling CDG and uh, giving myself a heart attack because of all of the things that would pop up. It's a lot of scientific jargon. It's um, a lot of scary facts, pictures of kids that have... Uh, you know, facial abnormalities. And I really thought that they were wrong with, with Dominic's diagnosis. I thought we were going to get that genetic test back and they're like, Oh no, you're okay. Uh, I was like, there's no way he, he doesn't to me look as severe as some of these cases that I'm reading about. Um, and then I, I was like, does it change? Does he, does he start to get worse? There was just so many unanswered questions. And I'm going to be honest with you. There still are so many unanswered questions. There's so many things that I don't know, but at this point, I don't focus on that. I take it day by day. It's the only thing that you could do. We just had a family um, that was struggling and I, he, you know, he said, well, what about the future? What about this? What about this? And I said, you cannot think about that. You have no control over what's going to happen. You just need to do the best that you can every single day. And everything else, just sweep it under the rug. Just sweep it under the rug. Because it 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 makes me so nervous thinking about Dominic as, you know, he's getting so big now when he is an adult. And what am I going to do? He's going to be bigger than, like, I don't even think about that. I just take it day by day because you never know what's going to change. He could be fine right now. And then in an hour, it could go from zero to 100. So uh, I try not to focus on things that I can't control and just what I can control in the present. Um, so I was on, I went on Instagram and I put hashtag congenital disorders of glycosylation. And the only thing that popped up was uh, uh, influ uh, an influencer, Shannon Will Willertson. She's pretty well known in our CDG community. Uh, she now has two daughters, but she only had one at the time with CDG, not PMM2. I'm forgetting what type it, it is, but um, I reached out to her and I was very lucky for her to email me back. And she was the first one that... Uh, kind of said, I wish that I could take what you're feeling right now away, but just know that right now you are sprinting through a marathon. You're sprinting and it's raining and it's pouring and you're sprinting. And there's going to be times where the clouds are going to go away and you kind of just get to walk at your own pace. And maybe the clouds are going to come back and you have to sprint again, but you just have to keep on moving. You just have to keep on moving. And I was like, okay, you know, every little pep talk I had, I was like, okay, I could do this. I could do this. Um, and then she got me connected into CDG care with Andrea Miller. I was not on Facebook at the time. I was off of it for a really long time. I was just on Instagram. And so I got back on Facebook and uh, I reached out to Andrea and she called me right away. And um, she, oh my gosh, she made me feel so much better. She um, made me feel like I wasn't alone. There was an entire community there with support and experiences. And um, that made me feel definitely better about the situation, knowing, okay, I have 
other people that have been through this, her daughter is older than Dominic, you know, uh, she, you know, uh, Shannon's daughter was older than Dominic. She, so just the little, and then when I got into the CDG Global Alliance Facebook group and I was able to see all the smiling faces and the, and of course there's going to be sad things. And, but, um, it made me feel better. Like I'm not alone. There are people out there that are living that maybe not normal per se, but you know, they're normal. So I just, I went from that. But what I quickly realized is the more that I got connected to the community and the more that I talked about CDG and the more that I shared Dominic's story, the better I felt. It was healing for me. So I continued to just do that. I, I wanted to just be as involved as possible. I, uh, went and, uh, was, I now am on the CDG care board. I just wanted to do everything I could because it was making me feel better about what I was going through. So, um, yeah, that was, and I still, you know, have my support system, my CDG community, my CDG family that I now know all over the world. Um, so I could sit here and I could smile, but there were some pretty dark moments back then. (laughs) It's a journey. It's a journey. And so at this time, uh, you were fortunate enough not only to have a geneticist pointing out to the congenital disorders of like oscillation, but also finding a support system, right? And so... I understand that at this time you already had sent samples for genetic testing to just confirm this uh, clinical suspicion the geneticists had and to have a, a, a confirmation of that and also to under, to know what was this type of CDG because we know that there are more than 100, 180 types of CDGs. And so it is important not only to know if it's a CDG, but what type of CDG? And so what happened? Uh, you sent those samples and, and then what happened? Yeah, and about six weeks later, we got the call from the geneticist confirming the diagnosis. Um, and he said that, he he didn't know for sure, but he said that kids that present symptoms earlier in life probably are going to have more severe symptoms later in life. Now, I don't even know if that's true. I feel like the disease is just so all over the place. There's so many kids that are just so different, some mildly affected, some um, aren't, some kids that are diagnosed early and present early, but uh, are still mildly affected. So I don't know, but that terrified me because then I thought, oh my gosh, you know, is he trying to hint that uh, something is going to go wrong? He's so, uh, I needed, I needed a doctor that knew CDG and every doctor that I saw, most of them had never even heard of it. So like his cardiologist was a specialist with his heart, obviously, and treating his pericardial effusion, but he didn't know CDG. So that's kind of when I went and well Dr. Marava had gone from Tulane to Mayo right when this was all happening so I was like oh five hour drive we could do that and that's when um when I met Dr. Marava and I it was just such a a, I can't even describe the experience talking to somebody that actually knew 
the disease. They weren't just saying, well, you know, maybe this will happen. We don't know. I don't know if he'll ever do this. I don't know if he'll do, you know, it was like, this is CDG. This is what's happening. This is, so it was a breath of fresh air to know that now he had a CDG team that was going to guide his Chicago team. So when I, you know, unfortunately Dominic still gets admitted into the hospital, not as much as he used to in the first two years of life, but, um, they know it's in his his notes and in the patient portal that nothing is done unless they talk to his CDG team. And, and even think, though, yeah, yeah, go so, ahead. So, and, and I think that it is very important uh, that as families with a child suffering from a rare disorder, that we really set up a, a good medical team. Right. Something it's it's sometimes it's not something that we can control, but it is very important that physicians talk between each other. Right. You know, not collaboration is key. Put your ego aside and and collaborate. It's so important. And so so this this communications and these teams are crucial, I think, at the end to really bring the best quality of life possible for for children and not only that specialist of the heart or the liver or the brain talk to each other but also the cdg clinical experts like dr eva morava uh well and and other great clinical experts that are in the united states uh work with the local teams to 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 better understand what's happening and and what's the future uh, looking like right and so when you when you got this uh, this diagnosis that we can put a name to that is PMM2 CDG and those that are listening so PMM2 CDG uh, specifically is a problem where cells cannot uh, convert mannose 6-phosphate to mannose 1-phosphate so mannose is a sugar and this is important eventually to synthesize uh, an activated form of mannose that is GDP mannose that is used for building these sugar trees that have mannose. So when when this happens uh, as uh, with PMM2 CDG, you don't have GDP, enough GDP mannose and you will have proteins that will eventually lack these sugar trees and that will affect the function of many proteins in many parts of the body. And this will be... Uh, well, presenting itself in, in, in different types of problems, but one of the things it it affects the brain in an important way. So that's like like the the the, the quick biochemistry and the the effects of of having mutations in this PMN2 gene. And so once you have that, you, you know, and you can label the disease. I think parents have like two questions. No, they're like, like, I think the first question always is what's happening to my kid, right? I don't know what's happening. I need to know. And when you know, and you have this genetic confirmation, then probably two questions arise. And one is, uh, can I cure him? Is there a treatment to, you know, to just erase this problem from, from his life? And, and the other is, the future, right? Like the, the worrying about the future, what is going to happen with my child, uh, particularly when you start you know, seeing symptoms that affect the brain. And, 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 and so in, in that regard, 
what changed in you? How how did you start this this second phase of of treatment and 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 looking into the future? How was it for you? Um, I mean, I still I do it every day. I still am 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 trying to figure out every single day how I could improve his quality of life. If there, I remember after he first got diagnosed, talk about a desperate mom. I mean, I tried to to figure out if there were other countries that were offering some sort of treatments. I contacted a doctor from Colombia to see if maybe stem cell uh, transplants could could work for him. I I you know I I tried to. I was desperate. I was willing to give it all it took, take all of my life savings, which isn't that much, but you know, like it, I was, I was a desperate mom. I wanted to fix my child. There's nothing worse than having a child rely on you for every single thing. And you can't do anything about it. You, you just kind of have to surrender uh, and I, I, I just, I, I keep on going back to the, the day by day because it's super important because CDG just um, can present whenever it, there's no, for instance, just two days ago, Dominic, we had such a fun day. He was, you know, feeling healthy. We had just gotten back from our Mayo checkup. Everything looked good uh, on our way home. Uh, from a friend's house and I looked back and he was having a seizure. You know, it's uh, now I know because I've, I've been through this. I always have his medical bag with me. Uh, so I pulled over and uh, gave him his rescue meds, but it's, you know, you could have like the best day and then it could just be shattered. Um, so I think that it is important for families that are listening. Um, don't, don't give up. Don't, um, you are, you are the CDG specialist right now. You know, your child, you know, the symptoms they present, you know, um, you know, try to be as involved and connected as much as you possibly can. So, you know, if, if treatments are going on, if research is going on. Um, that was really important to me to be plugged in to the community, to be connected, to know um, where we were at in, in research, in finding any sort of treatment, in finding a cure. I know the CDG community hates the word cure, but uh, you know, as a mom who has a child that they say 25, 20% of affected infants don't survive the first year. And I don't know if that statistic still uh, is true, but um, you, you just have to continue to fight and stay connected. What's don't rely on the CDG team to tell you what's going on. You have to do it yourself. That's, that's very important. So I think probably a word that comes up a lot is resilience, right? And so- yes. I think that managing uh, a, a disease uh, such as CDGs or the rare diseases, PMN2 CDG in the case of Dominic, uh, requires the resilience to keep walking even or in spite of those constant up and downs, right? That I, I think are, are very joyful, but also very scary. And so 
what has been your your experience on this and what what is your like practical tips or or really like counsel for for families that are starting to feel these ups and downs and and are scared and, and feel that they are not in control and and how to build this resilience and 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 keep going through these up and downs and and still uh, try uh, to to make the best of it um i think that it's a hard question because i don't think building resilience ever stops i feel like i'm continuing to still build resilience from the experiences that i go through so you know for anyone listening that has a child that's sick um i can't say do this or this and this is going to make you feel better it's you just have to keep on going for your child. They're, they're relying on you. Um, Dominic is nonverbal. He relies on me to be his voice. Um, so that resilience is still building. And, uh, you know, the beginning of this year, Dominic kept on getting like acute illnesses, cold, he had strep, RSV, like he just kept on getting sick and sick and sick. And uh, normally I would have these breaks in between these little colds and flus and where I could like calm down a little bit, but it was, you know, it'd have a week and then all of a sudden he would get a fever. And for parents that have CDG kids, it's not like a typical kid where they get a fever, you give them Tylenol and, you know, just watch them throughout the day. I think any any CDG mom will tell you at this point, if they notice their child's getting sick for any, like a runny nose, it's an immediate thought, life or death. This could turn into something that could be disastrous. So when I, and my family knows when Dominic is sick, it is, I am on red alert. I, I actually have a hospital to go bag just ready that has some toiletries, some like, you know, just charger because I try to keep him at home and monitor his symptoms the best I could. But, um, it comes to a point where there is times he does need medical support, especially because if he is not, um, he gets hypoglycemic, he has to be on a continuous feed because if he is off of a continuous feed for longer than 30 minutes, he becomes hypoglycemic. So, if he's vomiting and he can't hold anything down, his sugars are dropping. So I need to take him to go get an IV. There's just no other way. Um, so that resilience, it's, I don't think that it ever goes away. I think that you just have to continue to build on it and really appreciate the good days. You have to appreciate those good days and don't think about the bad days and don't think about maybe tomorrow it's going to be a bad day or gosh, what did I go through yesterday? If today is good, you concentrate on today. Um, and that's what gets me through is those good days because of course there's bad days, there's bad weeks, there's bad months, but those good days I do really enjoy and those small victories that I celebrate with him um, keep me going. And be prepared, right? So, you know, live the present and if it's a good moment, just enjoy it, but be prepared at all, at all times that this can change, right? And within I think that's important. Yes, within seconds, yeah. And, and so just trying to, to for those who are listening to us to understand how is, is how PMM2CDG has affected Dominic's life, uh, 
So we started at the beginning that the, the first science was this hypotonia, you know, this head that he couldn't hold up, uh, the problems in the liver, you know, that he was not achieving the, the milestones that are a signal of, of neurological development. And how did this progress until now? And, and how is a day with Dominic uh, in, in regard to, to managing PMM to CDG? Um, well, there's a difference on a good day or a bad day. <laughs> good day managing is fine. Bad days are a lot more difficult. Um, so right now, Dominic uh, is still, uh, he cannot walk. He's nonverbal. He still struggles with sitting up uh, without support. He can can do it for as long as he's 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 kind of has his hands on the floor he could stay stable for a little bit but you know he has ataxia so he he gets excited or or you know he's like oh, i'm sitting up he gets excited all of a sudden the ataxia kicks in and he's like a little drunk kid you know he's like falls over uh so um he i would say it's interesting because you go through when you're a mom of a child that has a rare disease or any sort of different need, you kind of go through, for me anyways, these different stages throughout their life that you never thought that you would go through. And no one tells you about these things. No one says, oh, what are you going to do when he isn't in a crib anymore? And, you know, where where, where is he going to sleep? Is he going to, you know, you, you kind of just deal with it as it comes. But I remember... Um, when he was turning one, I, I think just a, a general question when a child is turning one and you're meeting somebody for the first time and they're like, oh, how old is he? He's one. Oh, is he walking yet? You know, they're looking at Dominic. They don't know that there's anything wrong with him. So that was like salt on an open wound every single time. And I almost avoided having this conversation. Like I, I just... No one told me that that was going to hit hard for me. I never, never thought. And I knew that they were being nice because I used to do the same thing before Dominic. It's kind of just this, this, this kind of autopilot that, oh, you know, you don't think about it now. Obviously, I don't say that because you never know. But um, you go through these, these moments that uh, you never would think you're going to go through. Um, so right now, Dominic, he is still getting seizures randomly. Sometimes his rescue meds don't work and I have to call 911. Um, he still gets hypoglycemic if he uh, is not on a continuous feed at all times. Um, he is still has ataxia. Uh, his vision isn't the greatest. I wish he wore his glasses more, but uh, he has strabismus. Um, his periocardial effusion got really bad when he was a year and a half and he had to have a uh, uh, peri pericardial synthesis. Did I say that right? Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, and uh, that was terrifying. Um, no one wants to be in the ICU, but the cardiac ICU was poor. The sickest kids as you walk through those hallways, it was so, so traumatizing. Um, so that, that was super, super scary. Probably the scariest moment of his life so far. Um, a typical day, 
you know, it's interesting because I said this before, I don't know what it's like to have a typical kid. I don't know the difference, which has helped me because I don't know any different. This is just my life. This is my normal. So, um, you know, Dominic, he, uh, he's very curious right now. I feel like I was just talking to Ava about this, that I feel like he's developmentally behind. So right now he's in his terrible twos. Like he's six, but I feel like now, he, you know, he's, he, he wants to uh, do cause and effect toys. He, he tries to test me, bosses me around all day long with his signs. You know, he thinks that I'm just, I actually think he's, a, he thinks that he's a Jedi. And if he points to something, it just is going to come to him because I automatically just go get it for him. So in his mind, he probably thinks like, oh, if I just point to something, my mom is just going to bring it to me. Um, so he loves school super social, even though he is nonverbal, he is super social. He loves interacting with people more than a toy. Um, and, uh, the, the negative part of it is he is getting extremely big, uh, and he still has hypotonia. So it's like a workout every day, carrying him and trying to get him in the car in his, you know, he has a wheelchair and that's heavy too. Um, one of the struggles right now currently I'm going with is how am I going to get an accessible van, uh, which I've tried, you know, looking for resources that would help me there, but I've been, been unsuccessful. So I will continue to fight for that. But um, again, things that you don't think about that all of a sudden come and you're like, oh, all right, now we have to deal with this. So most of the day you're you're so you're alone in taking care of him. So his dad and me are no longer together. So we, uh, I probably have him seventy percent of the time. His dad have has him thirty, um, and his dad and me have a very good, solid co-parenting relationship. Thank God. I think we decided from the very beginning that if we weren't going to be together, it wasn't as if we would get a divorce and then all of a sudden when our kid's 18, we don't have to deal with each other anymore. It's like, we're going to have to take care of Dominic for the rest of his life. So we need to maintain a really good relationship and uh, maintain a good team, which now, you know, we, we are, which is amazing. It helps significantly. Um, and then it's kind of, uh, and I'm sure other special needs moms have to deal with this, but to try to get somebody to watch him that isn't his dad or me, we struggle with. Um, my family, they love Dominic to pieces, but they're scared. They're scared to watch him. Um, you know, he's on a G tube, they don't really know, uh, if the G tube comes out, if, um, it gets, you know, they don't, they don't know how that all works. Uh, they're afraid that he can have a seizure, which he can, but so, um, we kind of just go back and forth his dad and me in in taking care of him and then he's in school i mean obviously not during the summer right now but he is in school for the majority of of the daytime during the week which he he loves so that gives a nice little break although i miss the little nugget uh and then you know it's pretty much every a few times a month at least now he has some sort of specialist visit whether it's you know to check his scoliosis to uh you know, vision, all of these follow-ups. And even if he's not presenting any symptoms at the moment of anything, I still go because I like to have that face-to-face -face time because if God forbid something happens, I want them to know uh, his history 
as opposed to not have seen him for a while. And then we're starting from scratch. So I still keep up with all of his um, specialists, um, even his cardiologist, which he hasn't had uh, an, a pericardial effusion in quite a while. But, you know, God forbid it comes back. I, I would like to still have that relationship with him. And, um, and, and you said and you said something that that's I think that it's probably a, a first stage that people that families suffer that is this uh, choice of isolate isolating oneself from others because of the questions you, you know the, the the comparison and so how did you deal with 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 not isolating yourself and just you know having contact with, with other persons. Is this happening with, with Dominic? Does he interact, this interaction? How do you manage it? Do you control it? Do you just let it be free? How, how, how is this happening? I mean, it's hard to be free when you have a child in a wheelchair. So I think now that he's older, it's a lot harder to, you know, if my friends are doing something with their kids, and it's not an accessible event or, um, you know, we're, we're definitely limited. Um, I, I think at the beginning of his diagnosis, I remember reading something that special needs parents end up uh, losing a lot of their friendships and relationships because as their child gets older, they can no longer connect on that level. And I, I understand that now because What I find is that parents I talk to, if I'm meeting a parent for the first time and they have a typical infant, those are the parents that I actually can relate to more because Dominic still has a lot of infancy like tendencies. He's still in a diaper. He's still not crawling. He's still, you know, so that's, I'm like, oh, you know, it's just, it's what the, the parents that have older kids or six-year-olds it's hard for me to relate. And the only time I ever think, I would say going to kids' birthday parties, it, you, you know, you just don't think about this. And, and of course I'm putting on a happy face and I'm smiling, but inside it's seeing other six-year-olds. It's like a reminder of how far behind he is. And as he gets older, that, acknowledging that is more and more clear on a, a day-to-day basis. I'm not paying attention to, to all of the things that he's not doing or what he's behind or, but then when I see another typical six-year-old that's having full blown conversations and, you know, running and jumping and reading and doing all of these things, then it's, it's like, you know, a truck hit me. Um, and that you just, I'm not going to start crying about it, but it's, um, I think that if people are listening right now that don't have a child that has a, a different need or a medical complexity, um, to be more aware of parents that do, and maybe, you know, their child can't go to the circus, like your child can still invite them. You never know. Don't just, you know, uh, not include them in things because they, they have a child that needs uh, more attention or more care or, or anything like that. So um, my friends luckily are good now and their kids, they know Dominic, they know how to play with him. They, uh, they, they 
they they push him around in his wheelchair and they want to take turns. It's my turn. It's my turn. And, um, you know, he loves water. He loves going to the pool and, and stuff like that. So uh, I think that just to like circle back, um, even though parents can say parents with a, a child that have any sort of medical issues, they can say, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need any help. You know, I'm good. I got this, but inside I'm certain that they're struggling. So just to be more aware of that, that they could say that they, you know, put on a happy face, but just to be aware that they, they are actually struggling. It's hard. It's, it's hard seeing kids that are living normal lives and running and doing sports and, um, you know, uh, I, I, I made Dominic, I didn't make Dominic, but I had him join an adaptive baseball league this summer. And it's, you know, it's very fun. Everyone's, you know, cheering for each team. It's just, it's a very refreshing feeling and there's no rules that apply by any means, but I get to go to a party and be like, Oh, Dominic, you know, went to his baseball game. And I, it's just a way to, for me to feel normal to, to, to not just talk about, you know, him going into his latest, uh, liver scan, uh, and, and join in the conversation with my friends that are, are having all of these other elements in their life that they're excited about their kid and they're, um, proud and talking about the things that they accomplished. So to find your accomplishments in your child and to, uh, concentrate on that is, is really, is really important. I try to, you know, like, for instance, I have friends that have, um, you know, kids in the background. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I don't want that. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. What a, make me something to eat. Uh. And I joke, I'm like, you should just get them a G-tube because <laughs> you wouldn't have this problem. Like Dominic is easy. <laughs> so I try to make it a joke, even though inside it obviously hurts. And I wish that he would eat pizza and ice cream and stuff like that. But on the flip side, I don't have to worry about what I'm going to feed him. It's just, you know, you put it in the bag. And, and put, so it's easy in that sense. <laughs> like glasses half full. Other typical kids too, toddlers, they're running around, tantrums, getting into everything. And Dominic is happy. He's always happy. So you win some, you lose some. You always have to look at the the glasses half full, the brighter side of things. And I, I think at, at the end, well, we always want, you know, normal, happy lives. And, and there are days like that, right? And sometimes, as you said, it's easier to, in, in those good days, socialize with other families and other kids that also have uh, disabilities and there's more understanding between them. But I also think that an important message is that, you know, I think isolation works both ways, right? So I think families uh, should not isolate themselves from other families with, with children that are not affected yeah. by rare diseases. But also if if you uh, have, a, if you are a person, you have a family and you don't have children with, with diseases, but you know of somebody that has in your neighborhood you know, in your work, try to communicate with them, try, you know, to include them. Probably they will say no, or probably they will not be able to assist, but don't close the door, right? Because sometimes people, I think, have this like inertia or this feeling that, well, I'm not going to 
ask them or invite them because I already know we we start doing uh, assumptions of of, yes. of what other families want and and I, and and I think it is important to always have an open communication with with families that are struggling with rare diseases and and I think there are there are spaces and connect, nice connections that we can do together for that. Yes, right? absolutely. Yes. And so. Uh, just to 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 finish this part, well, at, in another podcast, we'll be talking about uh, very probably the the treatment of of PMM two CDG. Yeah. Uh, just to note that at this time, well, Dominic receives medication and treatments, but that are mostly centered in controlling right the the, yeah. the symptoms, the signs. But there are no uh, at this point. There's not a a, a treatment that corrects. The biochemical deficit, right? That in other CDGs counted with the hands, we, we can find those uh, types of, of treatments and we'll be talking about them. But well, it, this is one of the, the things that we are looking in CDG research is to develop treatments and for PMM2 particularly because it's the most frequent CDG. So uh, there are a lot of kids globally that have PMM2 CDG. So looking to develop a treatment uh, about this uh, that corrects the biochemical deficit and specifically attacks the problem is a, is a thing that families are looking for. And we have some hopes that are working there and we'll be talking about them in, a, in another podcast. So um, at the end, uh, there are struggles day to day, days of joy, uh, days that are more difficult, uh, uh, days that are scary. But life has go been going on, and and as you said, there's resilience, and you have just have to live the present and start not only living that present, but also advocating for other families and and trying to look for those treatments and that be better quality of life. For Dominic, so on the side, and I think this is important. Well, there's there's not only uh, uh, the mom of Dominic. There's a human being. There's a woman. There's a businesswoman uh, that also is thriving. And so, how do you deal with your own mental and emotional well-being? Uh, I think, well, at least one. And I think it's not a stereotype, but. You know, moms have this this inner force that even in spite of what's happening, they just go, go. There's this this maternal force, right? But it doesn't mean that they are not suffering and it does not mean that they are well emotionally or, or, or mentally and there's damage that is accumulating. And, and sometimes there's something that has to be done for oneself to, to be able to have that strength. And sometimes we can forget that. And sometimes if you don't, take care of that it it can explode in your in your face and, and 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 create a bigger problem so in that sense what do you do for you and your well-being in general so uh i feel like i'm pretty good at the self-care i i try to uh stay active um i try to stay busy as much as possible so for me and i know not every family is like this but like i said earlier for me um, advocating for uh, other families with CDG globally, really at this point, um, has helped me heal. It continues to help me heal. Um, it breaks my heart when I hear of families that have a child under 
one or two years old and they're, you know, newly diagnosed. And I know that feeling of um, feeling alone and feeling like the world is just caving in on you. And so I try to make it a point, um, Andrea and I, if, if she feels like there's a family that needs that support, she'll, uh, you know, let me know. And I reach out to them. Some families don't need, don't want the support. Maybe they're a little bit more in denial. Some, um, families do really want the support. Um, but every time I connect that it helps me, you know, I, I feel like, okay, like I'm helping this family get through what I went through when I remember sitting there in the hospital and looking out the window, like what I'm going to wake up from this any minute. I'm just going to wake up. This is crazy. I'm going to wake up from this any minute. Um, so for me, just even though CDG is such a serious disease and it impacts our life so much, I try to remain as positive as possible. I try to make jokes, even in very, very stressful situations. Um, and I think that helps Dominic because he feeds off of me. Any any kid feeds off of their parent. So if if I'm not if I if I put up that that facade that I'm uh, joking around and smiling, I think even when Dominic is super sick, it helps him um, remain positive and calm. So um, I think just trying to have that that positive mindset and not looking into the future too much has helped me significantly. I, I, this is going to be the third time I, I take everything day by day. If people say, you know, how's Dominic today? He's great. He's great today. Tomorrow. I have no idea. I don't know. You know, so today, like no news is good news. We're good. So don't 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 bring the weight of the future in your in your present, right? Just yeah. deal with what's in front of you, and that's the way to. That's the only way that you go. can do it. And, you, and um, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, I say you just can't. Um, sometimes when I get home from the if I'm stressed and I get home from the hospital, you know something's going on. I'll start cleaning my house very vigorously, and I think in my, to myself. I think it's because there's so many things, well, the majority of things with CDG, I can't control. So I concentrate very heavily on the things that I can. And then like, you know, if I, I can control something, it makes me feel better because with Dominic, even though I try to be the best mom and uh, advocate for him every single day, I, it's still things happen that are completely out of my control. So in times like that, my house is very clean. <laughs> I'm just constantly crazy. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, it's every time you're in the hospital, you just um, think, oh, God, how long are we going to be here? Is this going to be another one where we're here for weeks and weeks and weeks? And is this going to turn something into where... Um, you know, when Dominic gets sick, he'll get edema in his face. And, uh, you know, and then I, I have to advocate for he needs to have his albumin checked and all, you know, and it's so 
it's so important for the parent to be knowledgeable on the disease and to know that medical jargon and to, um, it, you have to, you have to be the CDG specialist, especially if you don't have your child visiting one or, or connecting with one, you have to, you have to know everything about the disease. So it, when stressful situations arise, you, um, can advocate for your child the best that you can. Yeah. And, and so, so of course, CDG does, doesn't not only affect the, the, the patient, the, the child, Dominic, but you know, the family, the mom, the father, it's, it's something that affects the, the, the family dynamics, right? And I always say, yes, I'm a patient advocate, but it's really family advocacy because Dominic, he is ha- he always is happy. He's he's having a good time all the time. But mm-hmm. me, I you know, I'm the I'm the one that's like stressed out about, you know, his blood sugars and this and this and this and this and other families, they're the one that has the weight of that on their shoulders. More than likely their kid unless obviously they're sick and not feeling well, um they're mental it it makes me feel better that Dominic is always happy if he wasn't I obviously would not um it would just make situations 10 times worse but um it's definitely to me more family advocacy than patient advocacy yeah and and you deal with with so many problems that go beyond that the 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 disease and the and the patient it's it's all the things that are happening around the family and that in that sense and, and probably it's a it's a it's a it's a personal thing and, and if you want to answer it but is uh how do you how do you manage or what are your decisions regarding uh relationships you know like like partners or boyfriends or 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 or, or that part of of having more children is it it's it something that you have thought about is it is it something you have decided upon how how is that because i think it's part of life it, it's it's something that that at the end i think you you have to well decide what's what's the right time for for each of these things yeah um it's a good question i when i was still with dominic's dad and we both knew that we were carriers um you know i i started asking dr maraba you know, the chances of having another child with CDG. And um, we still had six uh, embryos that were frozen. So if we wanted to have more kids, we would have to get those embryos thawed, tested, and then refrozen. So it puts a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it, it, It can make the embryos weak by thawing for, you know, going through the testing. And so that uh, was a cause for concern. Um, they said that even if they're, they tested the embryos and one of the, um, say one of the embryos they tested did not have PMM2 CDG. Um, there was still a small chance that the baby would still have it. The only, and maybe you know this more than me, but, um, I think the only way for it to be a hundred percent confirmed is for a, um, uh, Oh God, what's the word I'm looking for? The, when you're pregnant and they, um, 
take the amniotic fluid out. Well, I think it's like 20 weeks. It's dangerous. There's a lot of uh, controversy no, with that. No, no, yes, that is what, yes. Um, so that always, you know, it's like, okay, so I go through IVF, which is already stressful in itself. Um, and then, you know, you get, hopefully you get pregnant and you carry it to a certain amount of time. And then you have to go through an amniocentesis. And then what, what if they say, nope, the baby has CDG. It's, it was always kind of this like mental, like, can I go through that? I had, I had, I gone past that diagnosis part now where things are calming down. I'm trying to get used to this world. Do I really want to go through that again? Um, so, and then I remember his dad and me, we would get to the point where we're like, yeah, let's try. Let's start talking to, you know, the reproductive physician, whatever. And uh, then Dominic would get sick and be in the hospital. And I would think to myself, how would I do this if I had a baby? How would I manage this? Uh, so that was always stressful. Um, now his dad and me are no longer together. Um, I do have a boyfriend and he actually crazy enough has a brother who has a rare disease. That was where the connection was. So he understands it's actually, so his brother has Prader-Willi syndrome. Um, and I don't know if, are you familiar with Prader-Willi? It's a uh, disease where you have an insatiable appetite. Um, so you're never full. You're always hungry, which is like the, here I'm force feeding Dominic and his brother will eat anything. It's, it was just the craziest, you know, his brother keeps on gaining weight. Dominic can't wait, weigh a pound, but uh, they always say in the special needs world, if you ever want to know how to treat a child or somebody with a disability or any sort of different need to look at how their sibling treats them because their sibling treats them completely normal, like they would a typical brother. So he already had, uh, I was lucky enough where he already had that uh, experience growing up with, with somebody that was different than his peers. Um so as far as having another kid, uh, I'm 41 years old. <laughs> uh, I, I think that time has passed. If it happened, it, it, you know, I, I wouldn't be mad about it, but, um, that would add on a whole nother stress because all of a sudden, how would I carry a 35 pound kid while I'm pregnant? You know, like, and I know there's so many families that have, uh, multiple kids and, uh, even multiple kids that have CDG, which I can't even fathom. Um, so I thought actually about maybe, uh, adopting, especially a child that has a special need. Cause I, I do feel like there's a strong, um, uh, opportunity for, for children that have medical, maybe not as much as Dominic, but, uh, some sort of medical problems that uh, they're not getting uh, adopted as quickly as the typical kids. So I, I thought maybe that uh, might be good, but um, maybe maybe later on. Okay, but it's something. It's, it's I I think it's a it's a question that's there, and I think it's it, probably very difficult to to have an an ultimate decision, right? Something that's always there and and at the end it's time or or something happens and and you take the decision but it's any pregnancy is is a risk 
right? But most of us don't know it and we just, you know, just get pregnant and 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 we hope for the best, just not thinking that there's a lot of risks and, and, and unfortunately. Yeah, and I, not to cut you off, but I always, you know, now that I'm in this rare disease space and I know all, like everything that could go wrong, it is honestly such a miracle that there's so many healthy children born because if one little thing goes wrong, one little thing goes wrong in that process, it's just, I just can't believe there's so many kids out there that are as healthy as they are because there's so many different diseases and uh, that, that people don't even know about. And um, it was always so terrifying for me because, and even, you know, say that Dominic Sadami did go the IVF route and have another kid and maybe they did have PMM2 CDG. You don't know if they're going to even be, they could be more severe. There's children that are siblings that have complete, like different severity levels. Uh, It's, it's crazy. There is just, it's all over the board. The spectrum is so wide. Uh, Symptoms, PMM2, uh, CDG, it's just the, uh, such a broad, um, every kid is just so different. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And it's true. It's a it's a journey. And and of course, it's great when these journeys, you can share it with other parents. But also at the end, there these are individual journeys also. And that makes it difficult. But I think it also makes it very joyful. And so we'll be finishing this the session for, for today. It was great to have you and share your yeah, our next session. I'm gonna interview you. <laughs> okay. And uh, and and the story of Dominic that I think relates to a lot of stories that happen with, with families with rare diseases. And just to end, I would like to ask you if you could share a moment that brought a smile to your face recently with Dominic. He makes me laugh all day long. Um, so his favorite thing right now is uh, watering the lawn. He is really into um, trigger movements. So if I teach him to do something, he he knows how to do it. So I uh, was watering my plants outside and he was in his wheelchair and he loves water. So even if it's coming from the hose, he's like so excited. So I was like, here, you could try it. So I took his hand and I showed him how to do it and he got a hang of it and he doesn't do it consistent. He'll just go like this. So it's like little spurts of water, but he gets so excited and I get excited because I get free labor of him watering my plants. But it's the little thing. So now on his little birthday list, I put lots of squirt guns and uh, uh, things that 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 cause an effect. He like he likes cause and effect right now. So anything that he can, you know, hit or or, or trigger, and it it does something. He gets so excited about. Um, so that always puts a smile on my face. Him him watering. I'll send you a picture of yeah, him watering yeah, the, the plant share. it's really funny he's like a little he's like a little old man out there with his with his <laughs> toes <laughs> well that's great thank you very much for sharing that with us and yes. say hello to to dominic and well uh we'll say goodbye to all of you who are listening to us uh thank you for being in this first uh, podcast uh, glycocast a journey about families sugars 
and rare diseases. This is your host, Ivan Martinez. And this is also today, she was our uh, guest, but will also be a co-host, Karen Morici. And we will be talking about very interesting things around these sugars and CDGs and science and families and mm -hmm. all the things that bring us together. So thank you very much for being Thank with you us. very much. My pleasure. Okay. See you soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you.